Alex. Hi there and welcome to episode 80 of the ADHD Adults Podcast. I'm James Bryan, the man who will never adapt to being able to organise a podcast properly. And I'm joined, as usual, by the man who's early for everything apart from getting a diagnosis, Dr. Alex Connor. But we also have a very special guest who we'll introduce in just a minute. So, Alex, hi. Sorry, mate, mate. <sighs> that, that was that was, was that a written late. gag? That was you acting, was it? Yeah. The yeah, that was thing. that was acting. Yeah. This this isn't about you this episode. It's about our special guest. And our special guest, I'm delighted to say, and actually before I introduce, I've got to say, I think I first contacted our special guest maybe nine months ago saying we'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> and in the intervening period, for a variety of ADHD-related reasons, it just never happened, and I'm so glad it finally has. Our guest today is Hannah Walker-Brown, the multi-award-winning documentary maker and author and ADHD activist. Hannah, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's, it's just lovely to have you on. It really is. I know, I know. I'm, I can't apologise for it. It's all Alex, obviously. None of it was me, but I can't apologise. <laughs> I feel like it's shared responsibility <laughs> on all parts. Yeah, I think... Yeah, and it's probably me, not just you. <laughs> no, it's, it's three people with ADHD trying to organise three people with ADHD is like cats herding cats, really. It, it, it's, not, it's not easy. So how are you both? Hannah first? Yeah, good. I'm good. Um, I, I've just gotten over it. A horrendous chest infection so I was ill for the whole of January oh. um, which was quite weird being bed bound and not being able mm. to do the things that stopped me from spiraling however yeah. in that point like that time frame I feel I've made real progress with that so for all the shit that's, that's happened, good yeah yeah I say that well we'll see how the next week goes but I'm doing good <laughs> so is now that... <laughs> Is that like new new coping strategies for when you can't do the other ones, if you can't go for a run or something? Is that the idea? Yeah, it's mainly just oh, me telling myself it's okay, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is probably also <laughs> quite mental. But that, yeah, no, that's a huge thing. Yeah. It's it's that step yeah, towards yeah, emotional yeah. acceptance. Actually, saying to yourself, oh, blah, blah. you know what, I, I can't. Yeah, I feel I'm feeling I'm feeling hyperactive. I'm feeling like I need to do stuff, but that's not my fault. It's fine. Yeah. Also, I have to ask Alex, how are you? <laughs> I'm excellent, thank you. Yeah, really good. No sign of our audience developing any kind of better taste in podcasts, and they're telling their friends, which is unconscionable. I think. And one of us sent the, one of them sent us a letter. No, James, they didn't. Oh, they didn't. Nice. Did they? they didn't. Oh, they <laughs> are. It's from a. Yeah. It's from Robert from Kidderminster. These oh, are getting it's... increasingly awkward. I might send you a letter. <laughs> I think you should. It says, <laughs> please do. It says, I listen to your. The letter says, "I listened to your episode on the hunter-gatherer hypothesis that you're about that you're about to record." Uh, we got confused about the timing. We we used to have a different hypothesis about James, but it turns out someone had just accidentally swapped our copy of the Contented Baby with the very hungry caterpillar. <laughs> you, Robert. That's good. That is easily the worst letter that my my um ex-father not ex in the sense that he's no longer my father but in the sense that he's no longer here has ever written alex oh, i mean anyway it's not about you because we have we have, an actual, we have an actual person here so i'm sure we have a real letter don't we we do but uh <laughs> we do but i've forgotten to put it in the script amazing <laughs> because, amazing because of the thing because of the thing amazing. so i'm going to read i i have got it here <laughs> This is the kind of professionalism. 
you would expect this is not it's the top first level, really, happen. isn't it? Mm. No, <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is quite funny. Dead air, Alex. Dead air. Oh, I know. Oh, you know, no one God. is surprised by this, surely. No, no one. They won't be. Right. I'm it says. Not. It says. So, what, uh, a letter from Kakarot was the podcast is really good, especially if you've just found out you have ADHD or you think you could have it. Brilliant tips and tricks, and mainly just understanding. I found out about it after work introduced me, which we're really, really interested in because it's very unprofessional. But thank you. We appreciate all <laughs> your letters. <laughs> internationally still increasing what is now obviously absolutely ridiculous one country a week it's just one it is, <laughs> which is now 140 countries four the new countries oh you changed it the new country <laughs> see what you've done the new country is the maldives where english is spoken but that would be too easy it says here so i'll apparently use the national language of devevi and say and I apologise in advance for me about to cancel. A big badaluviti vara ufaveja to the person, singular, who listens, who's listened to an astonishing 12 episodes from the Maldives, or one episode 12 times, we don't know. Brilliant. Well done, Alex. You've navigated that with your usual aplomb. So not as usual. There's people in their 30s who talk about being old of a podcast, although 30s, according to Alex, doesn't need an apostrophe. Jesus Christ, I hate it when you edit the script. It isn't going to be a tragedy in three parts. Instead, we're going to let someone with some actual communication skills help us talk about the experience of getting diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, the fabulous Hannah Walker-Brown. If you're not familiar... Anna is a documentary maker, podcast, The Beautiful Brain, and author who last year wrote an incredible book, A Delicate Game, which we will talk about later, which covers uh, subjects including head injury and sport. So we've already said hello. So let's get to the first question. Okay. So obviously we're talking about late diagnosis as we're all adults who came to understanding we had ADHD late. So when did you first suspect that you might have had ADHD? I guess ADHD specifically, like actually having a name for it about nine months mm. before my diagnosis. So it was quite late. It wasn't something I had a kind of name for a reference for my whole life. Yeah. However, that said, I had struggled with things for a very long time that I just didn't have a name for that. Um, I'd see doctors about, they'd prescribe antidepressants or anxiety tablets or kind of every time I went, it was, you know, as it is with the NHS, 15 minute appointment with a GP, here's the problem, there's no kind of interrogation, um, take these. Occasionally, they'd give me four diazepam or Valium because I had terrible insomnia, which was like party time, really great, but obviously, you know, small doses because they're highly addictive. Um, but yeah. I this thing I'd, I'd had for a very long time, but the actual kind of letters ADHD was not long before my diagnosis. And that was due to a friend going through an autism diagnosis herself and saying to me, I think you should look into this. And a lot of people I've spoken to, it was thanks to TikTok that they kind of had a name for it. I don't have TikTok, so maybe if I did, it would have been sooner. Um, but it was someone else saying, and then obviously, as soon as I kind of had that, it all started to line up. And that's when I could go back to my doctor and say, I think this is what I have. Can we 
look into this specifically because before then it was just kind of what just the phrase pissing in the wind it was like there was no there was just nothing like tangible it's so the, the 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 part of that story where a friend kind of suggested it to you. It's so common. It's what happened to me, mm. Alex. You know, when he got diagnosed, said you know you're more ADHD than I am, and so many people will say that actually it was a friend or a family member. That when you understand what ADHD is and you can you know spot symptoms in other people and see that they may be struggling, it's quite common that people will will often be that first that first suggestion. You know, will come from will, yeah. will come from friends. And I think also, like my brother, a hundred percent has ADHD. It was almost like a running joke. He never got um, diagnosed as a kid, but all of his traits and like the very kind of stereotypical traits—can't sit still, disruptive, um, struggled academically, like the very kind of boisterous—you know—the generalized traits that that we'd seen. And I wasn't like that, so that was sort of the only reference for that. I was kind of when I go back now and like really look at it and like hindsight's a beautiful thing I'm like oh no I did have some of those things and there's mm. other things and like now we know the you know the disparity between male and female symptoms and it yeah. like it was all there but there was nothing that sort of suggested that that could be what I was going through does, is he all right with you outing him in a, a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I've spoken about this before. I, I had a conversation with him about it. It's he said to me, quite drunk actually. He sometimes he'll call me and we'll have a he'll he'll be drunk and we'll have an emotional chat, and I won't hear from him for like six months. He's fine. He's not like you know mm. struggling yeah, yeah. or anything. But then he'll sometimes drop in. He's like, oh, you know what it's like with ADHD, or he started to kind of acknowledge Mm. it a bit and I think it made me kind of sad for him in a way because oh I guess it's there's kind of two things at play like if he had been diagnosed would they just have sort of given him medication from a young age and how would that have impacted him now because at that point there wasn't a load of information or has he kind of been better in the long run but yeah you know each to their own and you can't kind of speak to anyone's experience but he's starting to kind of say things like oh you know what it's like maybe it's the I, I don't know it's just kind of a bit more acceptance i think we've noticed that across the whole gamut i out both of my brothers and they definitely don't like that and um, so you did get a diagnosis how did, did. you go how did you go about oh, it what, what did you do do you remember yeah i do remember i was actually on um, the adhd's females podcast talking about this because this is like quite a nut story so i i was in the pandemic, I think a lot of people's symptoms exacerbated. And again, I still didn't have a word for this. And I was in London in lockdown one. And the thing that really got me was that only leaving the house once a day. Even as a kid, I would go for these long, long walks. Like, I, just this impulse. Like, I had to move. I had to get out of my brain in a way. And only being able to go for one started to feel very, very restrictive. I also do this thing where, like, years ago, I'd call it stretchy. And it's where if I sat still for too long, I'd feel like my whole body like contract. And I, it was almost like my brother had one of these, like a stretch Armstrong toy. I don't know if you know that toy. Mm-hmm. It's like this yeah, muscle man yeah. and you pull its limbs. And I was like, oh, I need to like stretch Armstrong myself. Like I just felt if I was still for too long, there was like all this energy. So obviously in lockdown, I'm going fucking bananas because I can only leave the house once a day. We were like drinking more, like everything was kind of, becoming very very um intense and so I moved to Spain 
as soon as I could in the second lockdown. And obviously, yeah, of course. Um, so when you're, I'd never lived on my own before. And, you know, the best thing about living alone is living alone. But the worst thing about living alone is living mm. alone. And suddenly I was, I couldn't hide anymore. Like there was no, like I had to confront a lot of my shit and myself. And, and there was nowhere really to hide. Like when it's just you in a um, space. And we had a curfew in Spain. So a lot of the time we had to be in at night. So there was a lot of like, oh, fuck. And it was in that time that my friend was seeking the autism diagnosis. And so once I kind of had a reference, I called my doctor and it was almost like she was annoyed that I'd sort of found out what this could be. And I said, well, look, I want to, I need help with this. Like at that point I was really struggling um, and I was quite worried actually about, you know, doing something stupid. I was in a lot of pain sort of mentally with this and she refused she said no everyone thinks they have this and i was like okay and so someone else i think i put something either maybe on instagram or i've had another Mm. conversation and that's when someone mentioned psychiatry uk and right to choose and i called my doctor back who again was annoyed i'd found this route and i said (laughs) can you can you do this and she said because of the borough that i lived in at the time, um, anyone that requested it, you had to go to a board. So they had other doctors from the borough and you could sit around this board and then they would decide who they would put forward. And she called me and said she wasn't going to do it. And I was like, fuck, okay. And then a month later, I was at my dad's. I got back to England for Christmas and this woman called me, this other woman who I'd never met, her name was Joanna and she said I was in that board meeting and I categorically believe that this, I've seen all your records like we've, we've never met she's like I categorically believe that this is what you've had because I've seen what you've struggled with and it's not any of the things they've said and she was like I'll back you I'll write your um reference right. she was a GP never met her she'd just been in that wow. room and then said I, and then from then it was like at that point I think I hit it just before that big influx of people because then yeah. about two months later, I had my diagnosis. Why? And I'm like, she's an angel from heaven <laughs> that yeah. saved yeah. me. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, that's the difference. She'd never met me, but she like laid all out like that. She could see that there was a problem and that I needed help and she gave it to me. There, there's so much in there that, that resonates and it will resonate with so many of our listeners. The lockdown thing, mm. I think this perfect storm yeah. of, of lockdown tick, TikTok and yeah. some celebrities and influencers announcing their ADHD yeah. has led to the increased awareness. The mental health crisis thing, my diagnosis was after Alex said to me, well, whilst I was amidst a mental health crisis, you need to get diagnosed, you need to get this sorted. Yeah. So I feel that viscerally. And then you've got that really thorny issue of the, the systematic barriers in the NHS to getting a diagnosis. I've been accused yeah. at a talk of, of bashing GPs, and we, we don't bash GPs. They do an incredible job. Oh. They're under-resourced. They're yeah. overworked, and they have very little training. Somebody at a, a talk – I give talks, Alex. Do you know that, mate? Somebody at a talk <laughs> I gave know. last night – somebody at a talk I gave last night was a doctor, and they said they'd had two slides on ADHD in a letter mm. on exactly. pediatrics. And yeah. that's the level of training they've got. So it's not, it's not, you know, it's not completely 
um, oh, fuck, my brain's gone non-understandable. Alex, you'll correct me to to see that some GPs just comprehensible, James. Whatever, mate. Whatever. It's it's not um, incomprehensible, uncomprehensible, or incomprehensible. In, I-N. I've got a, I've got a in, question, I Hannah. I'm really... In, yeah. In, yeah. With your, like, Stretch Armstrong thing, who's one of the yeah. Fantastic Five, not the dog, <laughs> James. Um, what... what Is that... Do you have to, if you can't go for a walk to get rid of it, do you have to, like, wa- waggle about arms and legs? Is, yeah. that, is it like a... So my, yeah. my brother did not know this was a thing. He caught, He's called it happy knees his entire life, and there's only oh, this wow. week learned that lots of us do it. Yeah, I had no idea. And it would also happen if I like got into bed and I hadn't done enough that day or I still felt like mm. slightly hyperactive. I'd be like moving around my bed like a mad woman. Yeah. I remember my ex-boyfriend being like, oh, have you got your stretchy again? And I'd be like, yeah, really bad. I'm like, what? Like, all this shit I did. And I was like, why? Like, I just never thought yeah. well, that might be a thing. I was just like, I'm just fucking so weird. And this yeah. is just how I live my life. And again, if you've got no one saying to you, um, I think there's a bit mm. of a problem there. You're just like, oh, it's, I'm quirky, you know? It's just not, exactly. <laughs> there's just no language for it. You, you have to live with it. Yesterday I had, I had yeah. x-rays on my legs and they told me to stay still. And I'm like, I might be kinetic. And I was waving my arms about because they weren't taking an x-ray on my arms. So my knees wouldn't wave about. And I had to explain this. Whereas before, I didn't have an explanation. I was just uh, humiliated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's it. Just... And... Yeah, no, carry on, carry on. I was interrupting. No, I was just going to say, no, no, I think carry. when you don't have something legit or that validates that, there's a lot of shame in that. And there's a lot of, you know, I just said, yeah. oh, I'm weird, I'm quirky. It's, you know, there's, it's always about you being different or, you know, less than actually. That's what that plays into. That's what played into yeah. to my inner yeah. narrative for a long, long time. Um, which real. I think is why, yeah, not real or it's just you or there's something wrong with you and, it, then that can become quite isolating, I think, when you're seeing everyone else not do this and you're doing it and you're like, well, I must be the problem. And, you know, I think you guys say it a lot, but that's why awareness is so important mm. because a lot of people don't have the reference to the language for what they're feeling or why they're behaving a certain way. They really they really don't. Just before Alex uh, does... No, I'm doing the last question, actually, before the break. Yeah. So just quickly, uh, last night uh, at a talk I did, Alex, did you know I did talks? Last night, oh, Mrs. ADHD was with me. <laughs> Mrs. ADHD was with me, and she hadn't taken her top up of her medication. And her hyperactivity was unbelievable. She was stood on the stage, swinging her legs out, doing lunges, then standing with her backwards with her feet off the stage, trying to do leg thrusts. And she was also talking at a million miles an hour. And and she said, oh, God, I haven't taken my top up. And I went, no shit. And it really, when you don't take a medication and it really shows you what you used to be like before you took medication, yeah. it can be eye-opening. And for, for all the people out there that are medication hesitant, I get that. It's a personal choice. We are not drug pushers, not at least not at least at this point in my life. And therefore, you know, it is a personal choice, but it, but it can be profound. Mm. Right, last question before mm. the break. Mm. And this, this could be a long one. After diagnosis, what, what changed mm. for you? Well, initially, everything. Um, that clarity is very, very intoxicating, the relief and clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, I fully hold my hands up. I was one of the ones banding ADHD as my superpower, to anyone that would listen. Me too. Um, I felt very, I guess at that point, 
I was kind of naive about the complexity of the disorder and also my disorder um, because you know even though we all have ADHD their symptoms and behaviors can be very unique to each of us but that initial relief was just I mean I was high I was like oh my god this all makes sense I'm a bloody masterpiece like this is all you know all these things that like I'd sort of like I would work like almost to death burn out and then do it again and I was like it's just my artistic process like this Mm. I I mean I was hospitalized in second year of uni with burnout and I just thought that was you know I just work hard and because I've always been brought up to work hard and then like looking back I'm like I worked so hard because I'm also overcompensating at the same time but yeah relief initially and then maybe 10 months later crushing realization that this was it forever and I was going to have this forever and it wasn't something to kind of overcome or conquer it was like oh no this is this is it and I think that's when I started to again get very very down um there were points where I don't want to like you know be super morbid and I don't mean in a dramatic way but there were points where I was like I'm not up for this I think you know, I'm, not that I wanted to die, but I didn't want to live with that. Yeah. And so there was a very like, now I'm like, whoa, I can't believe that that's where it went. But at that point, there was yeah. a very real narrative of, is it worth it? Like, am I going to be able to do this? Do I want to do this? And I think, you know, for yeah. a lot of that, it was kind of wading through these murky waters of what if or like what could have been. And the grief yeah. associated with that, and and that is just not helpful for anyone. Um, and then I did loads of ayahuasca, and I managed to <laughs> come out of that. Um, which you know, I wouldn't well, recommend that bombshell. unless you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's but, amazing. You know, but, yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's really it's it's important to share that perspective because there are a few yeah. things we we often hear one is that people get a diagnosis and almost immediately think i've tricked the psychiatrist that i haven't got adhd that actually i'm just yeah. all these things that, that i thought i was and the other thing is that a lot of people report that they're sim- they, they get worse they feel like their adhd's got yeah. worse and what it often is yeah, is yeah, that yeah. they're noticing their adhd traits more and then yeah. all of a sudden you think, oh my God, I'm more ADHD now than, than I was before. And that can lead you into that, that downward spiral yeah. of, do I want to, to 40 times a day, 50 times a day to yeah. do these things? Yeah, that, I definitely felt that. I felt at mm. first I was, you know, and again, it's, it's amazing to have an answer. It's amazing to yeah. kind of start to reconcile some of those things. And then it went the other way and it just felt like everything was so loud every like all those little things like sometimes I'd feel a bit uncomfortable in a restaurant if there was too much you know like sensory overload the music was too loud or people were too loud or everything was close together and then it just became unbearable and I remember meeting a friend for lunch and she looked at me and she was like do you need to sit outside and I was like oh thank god yeah like I I just couldn't be in there and I was like this is shit like I thought this would help and now it's just made everything worse but then actually through that is the now you have the awareness you can start to find the tools and then I sort of came out of that and then started to apply that and I think now I'm you know it's not everyday sunshine but I'm definitely in a place where some days are great some days are unremarkable some days are still shit but my baseline now isn't 
despair <laughs> it's like acceptance and, and i'd say more peace which is like you know yeah it's a pretty nice place to be with it is it is it peace but still with a wild brain what i would call wild peace and james oh, loves he oh, loves yeah, I like that, that. James hates don't it. encourage he hates him. Don't so encourage him. Peaceful, <laughs> peaceful wildness. And the other thing, what was it, Alex, that you were an unbridled stallion or something? Jesus Christ. Oh, no, <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> my, my, therapist got, my therapist once said, you, you, you're probably just a wild stallion, Alex. You can't be tamed. And, like, it's completely false. Oh, but I just took... Yeah, there's nothing I needed to hear more at the time. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like the, the oh, hunter-gatherer theory. I want to be a hunter, but yeah. I mean, we're, we're not. But I'll take yeah. anything that makes me feel good. Uh, yeah, I'd say there's, there's, you know, I'm still chaotic as fuck, but there's a, I guess it's more acceptance than peace. I'm not like, oh, everything is yeah. just so calm. Like, it's still, yeah. you know, yeah, wild, but Always will there's be. a level of, like, I guess there's self-forgiveness wrapped up in that and there's acceptance and and kind of a commitment to understanding rather than fighting against it. That is amazing. I like the idea that you could create a self-help book called My Baseline Isn't Despair. Follow these steps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the how-to. Aspirational. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a really good, really good spot to take a break. So we will be back for more with Hannah in part two. See you shortly. Alex, hi. Hi. What's up? Hello, Governor. Jesus already. Welcome back to part two of episode 80 of the ADHD adults. We are talking about adapting to a late diagnosis, but actually we are here to have a chat with the amazing Hannah Walker-Brown who joins us. And I want to get straight back into it because, you know, we've spent ages on this. Hannah, welcome back. So we've talked about diagnosis and things. No, thank you. So now you know you've got ADHD, you've got the diagnosis. When you do look back at your life, what kind of things make sense now, looking through that lens? I like that expression, lens. Yeah, everything. Everything makes sense. Um, My my behaviour, my artistic process, in inverted commas, Um, I think also what I will say is for all the kind of shit things, it's really important to acknowledge and celebrate the good things because I think they often, you know, they leverage some of that shit when it's held at you, which it is all the time with something like ADHD. You can't just kind of switch it off. You know, it's there all the time. Um, And actually everything that I've done in my life hasn't, like it's been there the whole time. It's not like I've just sort of put on this handbag of ADHD and now we're like going out together. It's like, it's always been there. So I actually, um, I interviewed this author last year, Marianne Eloise, um, who has um, ADHD. She's also autistic, has OCD. And she wrote this brilliant book about it. And she used this phrase in the beginning of the book. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but she says, I am rather than I have. And I am being like, it is part of you and you are a whole person. Whereas I guess for a lot of the time when I was in that terrible space, it felt like it was separate to me. We're in this like battle and I was like resistant to it. And then as soon as I sort of was like, no, 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 that, that is me. It just became part of who I was and everything I've done has been, like, it's me doing it. It's not me and then ADHD like watching from the corner, ready to jump in and fuck it all up. It's like, no, you were there. So, you know, there's things like, obviously things that have been quite difficult. I've had insomnia since I was a kid. That's really hard. I guess 
what I realized is I definitely have a bit of um, rejection sensitivity. So mm. I'm, I'm off Instagram at the moment. I've been off for five weeks because as much as it like gives me this dopamine buzz, there's also like the rejection sensitivity and it's just a horrible like place to be stuck in if you kind of deal with those things. Um, things like empathy, like I've made a career telling other people's stories and like holding space for mm. other people in and everyone used to say to me, like, it's a real um, gift that you have. And I was like, oh, I'm gifted. You know, that's nice to hear. But I was like, oh, no, like, it's it's more than that. It's like actually just how my, my brain is, is wired. So there's so much, I think, that makes sense. And me as a person, I think, makes sense. I guess the only things that don't make sense that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to let go of is why no one picked up on it or why it wasn't... Mm. Um, sort of looked into not from a like personal perspective but just more generally like why is it that women are excluded or why is it that marginalized groups are excluded what is it about the system set up that mean that that wasn't picked up so I guess it's less about like me as an individual more like collective now because again I don't think it's yeah. useful to be in the past with you know things that you can't change but actually really looking into what was going on there and, and maybe how we can work together and maneuver that in a different way moving forward so other people don't have to go through that does that make sense it really does yeah. the good things yeah. especially connected do you see the good yeah. things as as a response to trauma it's like learn through having to be resilient <laughs> because you like as a direct response to being different because i see the first one but i used to think it was the second yeah I don't know. I'm, I'm always slightly cautious about this word trauma because I know it gets thrown about a lot about like personal trauma. And I guess it's also like TikTok yeah. generation, Gen Z generation, everyone's a coach, yeah. an advocate, a, you know, a therapist, even though they're not. Um, yeah. But I think Difficulty, like, then. yeah, yeah, I think so. I think in any situation, like overcompensating is a response, right? To having difficulty. Yeah. Um, I definitely had this thing, which I've only really reconciled in the last year, where I only believe validation came externally. So I would go, I was like, win the awards, make the shows, write the books, like everything had to be for output. Like my worth was only as good as what I was producing. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, I don't have ADHD and I still feel like that because of, you know, capitalism, society, whatever. But I was like, yeah, but to the point where it consumes like yeah. my entire life. I think that's the thing that's always really important, isn't it, with this is, yeah, you might have some of those things, but does it impact you to the point where, you know, you can't live your life or your quality of life is significantly reduced? So there's a lot of that wrapped up. I don't know. I think, yeah, the difficulty definitely creates those behaviours. Um, it's like chicken or the egg, though, isn't it? Like, which came first? Mm. Was yeah. it? Difficulty or, yeah exactly so but I do think it's interesting and useful to kind of obviously it's more um complex than this but to think about it sometimes as chemical I think is quite interesting and and allows if you're really struggling that's the thing that allowed me to kind of um navigate it a bit better like with depression and anxiety I think people because of the way we've spoken about mental health and the way that it's kind of been, and not now, but certainly in the past, um, as a weakness or whatever, I think there's a lot of shame wrapped up in that and people think it's them. And like, it's chemical. 
it's, it's not you it's you know you're not a bad person because of this it's you know it's something that's going on in your brain and sometimes I find that helps to think about it like that for me to be honest agree completely mm. I think there's there's so much in there again that people are going to going to resonate with and I, I for me the bits that Alex has to point out that are positive because I can never see anything positive in myself are often yeah. a response I think to to, to growing up being different feeling unloved feeling rejected feeling lesser yeah. not knowing why I can't do those things so I found my own way and I luckily yeah. stumbled into a career where I was I was kind of half good at it and I never yeah. know whether one of the things that Mrs ADHD says about creative thinking which we did an episode on is 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 ADHD's taken so much away from me don't let it take away my personality or my my positives as well because I think mm. for some people you, you might just be creative or, or funny or hardworking and I think but many people then like to say well that's because of ADHD but it might not be it might just be creative yeah. or, or funny or hardworking yeah. yeah so uh next question is Alex I would say Alex and I but it's largely Alex often talk about kind of external and internal success you are a very externally successful person and Thank one of the you. common myths about ADHD that we hear all the time, well, it's, it's objectively true. One of the common myths <laughs> is you can't have ADHD if you are successful. So do you think that your ADHD has, has helped or held you back in your life and career? Again, it's like this thing, isn't it, of am I separating me, Hannah, the person from my ADHD or am I in, like, accepting that we're a whole thing? Because me, Hannah, a person, yes. And do you know what? I used to be like, oh, no, I'm not successful. Not in like a weird, humble, fake way, but in a like, I never felt good enough. So when people yeah. would say that, I'd be like, oh, deflect. And I'm like, no, yeah, I am. Thanks. Um, let's like maybe spend the next 33 years embracing that rather than rejecting it. Um, progress. <laughs> oh, love it. Uh, um, but I like, yeah, it's helped and hindered like with anything. Like, you know, as someone without ADHD will make good choices and they'll make bad choices. I think it's definitely been harder. There's definitely been more mm. struggles, but then also like I'm from a working class family. I never had, I never knew anyone to get a, you know, a leg in the door or a foot in the door or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, especially in the industries I work in, the, the longer I've been in them for a very long time. And you do start to realize where certain people have come from. And it's not always there. we didn't always enter the stairwell at the same level do you know what I mean like I started of from course. the bottom so there's yeah. a lot of that involved in that as well and and I guess uh, yeah I'd have to say of course it has something to do with it because I have something to do with it yeah. you know, my tenacity and yeah. my work ethic and that kind of it's actually interesting I've been speaking to a lot of people um, with ADHD recently and and a lot of us do have this kind of like wanting to change the world like kind of activist thread through that's quite defiant and looking out for communities that aren't being served mm -hmm. whether that's kind of in um, a neurodivergent space or not but I think that's also a working class trait where you yeah. kind of you know you want to when you rise up you want everyone else to come with you it um, is. so yeah I'd say it has helped me because I've helped me and that is me you know yeah I think, I think that's a really good answer. Justice sensitivity is commonly associated mm. with ADHD. Yeah. They don't know what if it's a learned trait as well. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. this, this concept of helping people is common with ADHD, but not 
if it means the same admin once a week that you have to do so often we can't do that we have to do other yeah. things like a ridiculous podcast or or one project <laughs> or something but that's helping people as well i think there isn't a kind of you know this is the only way you can be an activist i think it's even if you're making one person's life easier or better or you're allowing one person to to feel seen i think we get so bogged down especially you know with the rise of instagram where everything is um we can like quantify everything you're only valid if you have x amount of followers you're only valid if you have x amount of listens like for me which you know it's not a good way to do business but if you've helped one person realize something like that's that's way more important to me than having a hundred thousand people download something and then maybe listen to ten percent you know absolutely i think we have a weird skewed version of success yeah Mm. and i think like I don't know I think that's success like success is is not how many people are like scrolling on Instagram sometimes it is depends who's paying doesn't it I'm gonna ask another question if that's all right Mm. um so (laughs) there was a paper on your thing of am ADHD or do I have ADHD about two-thirds of people with ADHD with say they are ADHD and the other third say they like like me I say I have it because I'm trying to get rid of it you can't um but so so having that in mind that you are adhd you've written this recent book a delicate game which deals Mm. with with complex issues concussion in sport which are in with my other sites hat on is something i'm interested in as well social dynamics violence against women writing a book like that or any book is a monumental task for anyone if you've got adhd or you are adhd how how the flipping flop what was tell us talk us through the process will you have uh initially hell i got yeah. the book deal before my diagnosis um right and what i think it exacerbated it um because i, I was also working full-time at this stage i wasn't just kind of having a jolly writing a book um so i was it was in lockdown which was quite good to be honest at that point because I didn't have to go into an office, so I had extra hours to write and stuff. But I have never felt so stupid in my life because I would sit down to write and nothing. I would procrastinate to a level I'd never, I I didn't even know it was possible to procrastinate. 11 hours sometimes. And I was like, why can't I do this? And and again, that then kind of internal monologue was coming in you're rubbish, you can't do this. I'm watching everyone else who's writing books. Like, I write for an hour a day. And I'm like, how? Like, how do you do that? And they're, you know, they've got their beautiful desk space with their bookcase behind them. And I'm just like a mess. And I was like, this has got to be easier. Like, there's got to be a way through this. And I gave myself a really, really, really hard time doing it. Um, The first draft, I sent in the same month I got my diagnosis and I do not remember finishing that draft I think I was so depressed I just had no memory of that month whatsoever and then I it was weird because the day I got my diagnosis I went on Twitter and there was a um, a male author and this this weird like serendipitous things that happened and he had done well someone done a big profile piece on him and I think it was like the times or something and he basically was saying he got diagnosed with ADHD. I think he was like 38, 39. And it was mm. right in his book that um, that propelled him 
to get that diagnosis. And he said I was procrastinating for 11 hours a day. And I was like, oh, oh, that's like a thing. So that like, gave, yeah, mm. gave me a bit of comfort. And then actually slowly, slowly, I, at first I didn't really tell anyone. And then I spoke to the publisher and I said, look, I've, I've got this. Um, and we worked out new ways of kind of working, not massive ones, because I still had a deadline, I still had to get a book in. But like when it came to um, the kind of mock-ups of the pages and all the referencing and stuff, if it was a new system, I asked them to demonstrate over Zoom, because if they just gave me instructions in an email, I wouldn't even engage yeah. with it. I'd just, And then they'd be like, where is it? I'd be like, I don't know. I just don't understand this. So at first I was like, oh, I don't want to be like, oh, can you do this? I've got ADHD. But then in the end, I was like, you have to, otherwise, A, you're going to fuck this up, and B, you're going to mm. start to have quite a difficult relationship with the people that are backing you. So it was really hard. It was really, really hard. Um, there's a lot of admin, obviously. There's a lot of new systems. We had, because of the book subject, it's quite contentious. We had a lot of legal reads, so seven actually with lawyers where we would have mm. to go through things um and... mind, hannah did they mind yeah. when you plucked up the courage and it is courage to say that email i'm not going to understand that can you help me or, no did they, mind? they were like no they were like we'll get on zoom it's fine and um, they were very kind about it um it was That's me i was the one that was like Whoa. um yeah. so it i'd say it was it was very hard to the point where once it was done I almost was like, like void of all emotion. <laughs> and yeah. now I just, it's almost like I can't believe I've done it. Like I've got a pile down here because the paperback's going to come out um, next month. Exciting. And sometimes I'm like, fuck, did I actually do that? Because I, I just, <laughs> it was so hard. Like I'm not going to, anyone, I mean, I don't know. I don't think writing a book is ever easy. I think if you look on uh, any author talking about it, everyone will say it's difficult. I'd say it's, exponentially more difficult when you have ADHD and and that is just because of it it fucking puts all your symptoms on steroids all your behaviors it's like they yeah. just fucking injected and they're like way massive now and you're the on... diagnosable one the, the, if you yeah. literally look yeah. at what we're not good at it's writing a book it's all of them yeah. the executive function, <laughs> the planning the, yeah, being on our own no reward yeah, 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 no reward. Like, I need rewards all the time. Um, but mm. I did it, and it's brilliant. And, you know, it's helping people, and I'm still here to talk about it. So, all in I all, it's great it's, <laughs> It's an, incre it's an incredible achievement. I think to even finishing a book which, which didn't get published when you've got ADHD is an achievement, but to write a successful and powerful book like that is fantastic. Right, I'm going to annoy Alex now. We do just have time for uh, the usual game of what's James lost, forgotten, oh, or mislaid no. this week. So, we've got a guest. Yes. Come on. Yeah, I know, exactly. So because we've got a guest, uh, you've got two options, Hannah. You can pick the topic, okay. and then you can get to go first. So there's two topics, and that is tea and glasses tea tea right so famously i struggle making a cup of tea and as usual it went wrong the other day so you've got three options for what i did which was a very adhd thing about my tea so did i a put the tea bag straight in the bin instead of the cup of tea <laughs> did i b 
microwave a cup of tea, which I always have to do because I forget to drink them in a cup that had a metal handle, and then obviously all the sparks and the panic that I'm blowing my microwave up. Oh, or did I see put the wrong sweetener in, which is one that I bought that actually tastes like dog shit and therefore ruined <laughs> a cup of tea? So three options: tea bag in the bin, microwave, oh. microwaving a metal cup, or wrong sweet. Alex, you're not going first. Shut up, Hannah's going first. I know. I, I just want to. Yeah. Um, I'm really hoping it's not C because that's crap. I'm going to go <laughs> B because that that sounds quite exciting at the same time as being. Microwave metal. Hmm. Okay, Alex. I what think, do you think? I think that it isn't B because James isn't allowed metal anything. Sam gives him plastic cups. Oh, you've got a. <laughs> I'm making. I'm making yeah, that up. I just make. Oh, right. <laughs> I've got a system where I just say something horrible about James. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's tea straight in the bin bag because James just has a, a like dung heap outside his kitchen that he throws everything like a dirty little like stick of the dump. So I'm saying dog shit sweetener. Oh, You're both bad. wrong. He doesn't look happy. Oh, you're both wrong. Oh, no, you're both wrong. I, <laughs> you got a team I, this, <laughs> yeah, this happened this morning. So this is the this is the that you can't no. open because of your feeble children's ha child's hands, Alex. That I opened it up, <laughs> picks up a tea bag and just chucks it straight in the bin. I'd poured the milk and I came back. I'm like, that's a bit. That's milky water. And that's then when where's the tea bag? I definitely got it out and looked oh, in the bin. No. I just thrown it in the bin. I've done it Damn. so many times. And then I stood there and looking at it with a confused look of what, what even are you? What's gone wrong? Exactly. Yeah. What, 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 why aren't you even real? That is perfect. <laughs> exactly. I hate that loss. So I love that you did it. Yeah. So I think that makes it four all for this year, doesn't it, Al? No? Is yeah. that right? Four, four. Yeah. Brilliant. That's On that fantastic winning. note, we'll take a break and, you know, winning and we'll come back for some more questions <laughs> in part three. See you in a bit. Hi there and welcome back to part three of episode 80 of the ADHD Adults Podcast where we're talking about adapting to a late diagnosis of ADHD with the wonderful Hannah Walker-Brown. So the next question is for me, which means it's good because nobody has to listen to Alex's voice for very long. Do you have any tips that you think helped you, which you would offer to people to help them adapt to a diagnosis of ADHD? Tipics, we call them. Yeah, I think one of the most important things for me was um, community. And I don't mean the one I already had, but like ADHD community. I think I spoke to you quite early on, um, like mm. Instagram, Twitter, those sorts of places. For all their sins, I think they're really good um, places to connect with people. I guess, you know, obviously a lot of symptoms can be oversimplified for the sake of infographics and videos and stuff. But I think just having or you know seeing yourself reflected in the experience of another was really helpful being able to talk about it I think often I'd say more times than not this isn't everyone and I'm not generalizing but people close to you I think can sometimes struggle to accept it or they don't yeah. really know what to say because we don't have a vocabulary for it um my family were like, no, you don't have that. But there was a little bit of reluctance to engage. And, and I don't think that's because they didn't believe it. I think it's because they just didn't know what to say. And I think oh, close yeah. friends as well. Or, you know, I know I have a lot of friends who are actors and creatives. And a lot of them 
um, our neurodivergent, but they've had it for a while. So it wasn't like, I had this like new thing, but they've had it for since they were kids or a lot longer than me. So it wasn't new. And I just went like, talk about it all the time. And people do make space for you. But I do think like the ADHD specific community was a real lifeline. Um, and I guess the other thing, which I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? I wish I could be like, follow these 10 steps and you'll be fine. Um, but it is a bit of trial and error. And it's about really learning not to sort of be hard on yourself when when in those error spaces. And I learned quickly the things that helped exercise, like not drinking alcohol. Um, both, both work. I hate them both. Yeah, but but then it was like, you have a choice now. If you do yeah. them, you're going to feel good. If you don't, you're going to feel shit. That's on you. Yeah. Mm. And so it, it is. is that kind of, I don't know, self-awareness and, and self-compassion, hugely important. Again, it's a practice. I think people just want the answer, and I don't have an answer, but it is about making sure you give yourself the space to kind of explore those things. But... I'd say initially being able to talk about it in a safe space. And there's a lot of community groups as well. All up and down the country, yeah. I've spoken to quite a lot of people. So, yeah, I think that is a good first step because I think if, if it's all internal, which it often is, and you've got no outlet or you've got no one to speak to, it just gets louder and louder and louder. In the spirit of top tips, I'm going to drill into something you just said. I was joking about yeah. exercise. I adore it. James doesn't, but I know loads of people struggle with exercise and alcohol because obviously intellectually, you know, if you've got ADHD, you know you're going to feel better tomorrow. But tomorrow yeah. doesn't matter. Tomorrow might as well be nothing. So what do yeah. you do personally? And it isn't advice. It's just what, what do you do personally to make feel good tomorrow a emotionally rewarding motivation for the next 10 minutes or hour how do you what do you do then how do you do yeah that? I mean and also like I haven't nailed it by any means um, no, of course if, like I know I'll feel better if I know I need to do some if it's like I don't like the idea of going to a class I'll go for a walk in like Hampstead Heath or one of the parks near me I have like an accidental accountability buddy my friend Darren who's a um, personal trainer he like does like motivational videos. And if ever I'm feeling like I don't want to do it, I always think, what would Darren do? And then I'll send him a video or a voice note being like, I almost didn't go. And then I thought, what would Darren do? And it's almost like having someone in your brain that you don't want to disappoint, <laughs> which again is probably yeah. quite messed up. But sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I'll, I'll just sit there and be like, no, I, I don't want to do that. But I think now I've got to a point where I really, I, I know what's good for me. And I know it's not worth it. And, you know, even with sleep, yeah. although this week is fucked, but I'm like, if I exercise, I know I'm, I've got a better chance than if I'm just like working relentlessly or, you know, I'm procrastinating or I'm doing anything, all the things that like I have to do, but aren't necessarily good for me. And, and one of the things that really helps, and I've been doing it for about 13 months now is um, cold water swimming. And I know it's having a bit of a moment um, and everyone's talking about it um but it, it's because it really helps like it really does help mm. and I, I haven't been able to go for the last four weeks because I've been ill and I, I really feel it in my body when I can't do that um so I don't know it's, it's finding the things that work for you if you hate running don't force yourself to go for a run because that's mm. never going to work like I like um there's an exercise class called f45 which I really like because it's 45 minutes high intensity but the exercise changes every minute so it keeps my attention mm. 
and I'm not bored ever. Like you're constantly on the move. The trainers are really encouraging. So you kind of have to figure out what your thing is. Because if you're going to do the thing that you hate, like the chances are you're probably not going to go and do it. Absolutely. And and I want to add that cold water stuff is, I live in Germany where it, hundreds of years, this isn't new here. Every, it's not yeah. trendy here. Everyone yeah. does it. It's, it's weird standard. that thing though. I think um, there's a lot of, you know, when we kind of minimize stuff to a trend and especially in like a wellness space, I'm like, is your issue with people taking care of their health? Like, is that what that this is? Because that's is. essentially what you're saying. Like, obviously do it mm. safely. And, you know, there's some people doing it for the ground. That's fine. They let them live their life. But it's like generalizing something as a trend when actually for the first time, I think people are finally advocating for their own mental health and going, actually, there's a better way. Like, we should be celebrating that. Like, we should be, you know, bussing people to cold water spots to help them. You know? <laughs> I always think that about climate change. Like, if, <laughs> if it's all bullet bollocks, I mean, we've still got better air, right? What's the downside? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Ah, you idiot. You've got like a healthy body. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Right. I've got a question and you can choose to answer either both, none or one of each, which is oh. what what has your ADHD taken from you, if that's possible? Or or what has it given you, if you prefer, either biologically or through learned? I think we've dealt on a few of them. If you had to like sum up yeah. one that you were really was obvious. Do you know what? I think the biggest thing for me, which I'm still grappling with, is self-esteem. And I think that is a, a massive one for me. Um, I think I'm getting to a, I'm, I'm getting better. But again, I think that was the thing that from a very early age was present. And I think untreated or ignored, it just kind of seeps in. And so it's so much part of your makeup, you don't even realize like it's just how you move through the world um and again overcompensate by always trying to prove that you're better than the last thing and it was my coach that said to me um how long you spend on the the shit you fucked up but I didn't swear I'm just swearing but that's the essence how long you spend on the things that you messed up and how little time you spend on the things that you that you should celebrate like my book it came out and I was like that was good and then it'd be like, oh, I did this really stupid thing. He's like, yeah, yeah. What, what, the, what the hell? And I was like, yeah. You're describing James. Yeah, it's really I know. This, I was, <clears throat> yeah, I was, I was about to say, I mean, I have zero self-esteem. And the odd mm. thing is, because I, because I make self-deprecating jokes in, in a kind of a reverse way, so I'll, I'll joke that I'm more handsome than Alex or more talented than Alex some people think that I genuinely think that and I've had people yeah. in the past say that I'm arrogant actually when I left one university the gift that I had was a picture of me that says thinks a lot of himself underneath and I just thought God. what the hell because I genuinely think nothing of myself because yeah you know, because that 12 year old boy that's still in there the rejected slightly unloved lonely isolated 12 year old boy i saw your face and alex and you wanted to do a ding um that that is very much me and and it's almost impossible to to for me to get over that fully i've had therapy and that's really helped me kind of show that, that 12 year old boy where i am now and the fact that actually things did get better but yeah like i have zero self-esteem yeah yeah, it's, I can it's, see it's your face, hard. Alex. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Ding. I am a 12-year-old boy. Pathetic. It is. 
Right. So last question then. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, my voice is going. Obviously, you work on so many things. Is there anything you're working on now you'd like to talk about? Yes, there is. Um, I Well, I was going to launch it this week, but then I did get a bit fearful about um, going back on social. So I'm like, no, do it, do it mm. when you're ready, probably next week. But I, I'm starting like a Substack blog and then a podcast which will come out in March um, under this kind of banner, Late to the Party, which is about navigating mm. neurodiversity as an adult. Um, I figured, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about this, obviously you guys, um, but I figured that the more people that talk about it kind of honestly and thoughtfully, the more yeah. chance there is that things can change. And so, again, the thing that really helps me was the experience of other people, like sharing my own, like, the way that I kind of reconcile stuff in my head is writing about it or sharing it or like observing how the world is meeting me within that. So part of it is yeah. for my own <laughs> um, exploration. But then I've been interviewing incredible people all over the world who were diagnosed um, neurodivergent as adults in like, written profile pieces and then a podcast, um, which will come out slightly later because I just felt there was a space for it. And I think... Hmm in a just kind of thoughtful and intimate way um, as another resource. And and so people can start to kind of own their experiences a bit. I know we've had like a weird year where everyone is insistent on speaking for us or invalidating this yeah. um, in a dangerous way, I think, because not for the people that have it now, but for the people that might, that then don't seek a diagnosis and, you know whether you self-diagnosed or you know you've been clinically diagnosed if you're if you reject any part of that you're not going to seek the tools to help you so I think that's really important so that is kind of a passion project it's not sort of part of my work but I noticed how people respond when I do talk about it and mm. I figured you know there's the more that's done in this space the better really with nuance I think nuance is essential I think I definitely toyed with how useful is another kind of white, creative, successful woman adding to this already saturated conversation. There is a lot of white, creative, successful women currently who are kind of dominating this space. Um, but then at the same time, why not? And I think that that kind of real exploration and and understanding of it is important so and obviously it's not just about white successful creative women and bringing in everybody into this conversation um you so, really can't un yeah. underplay working class though hannah as well i mean yeah. all of those it's one of the the biggest barriers in the world outside of probably yeah. race and gender it's probably the third one right maybe yeah the disabilities yeah totally and and again i just think I've always said this and sort of underlined a lot of my work, but, you know, someone has to go first. And, you know, if you're courageous, you give other people permission to be courageous too. And that isn't like go and write a book or, you know, go and, I don't know, save someone from a burning building. But it's like, it, it can be a real brave thing to own your own narrative and your own story. Because I think for a long time, you know, we're used to people telling it for us. Parents tell us, you were like this sure like outwardly that's the experience but internally like we've all had our own shit going on and and I think also you know the way that the world responds to us and other people respond to us is based on their shit not always yeah. ours like so I think actually having the courage to just write it all down and be honest about it like some days are good some days are shit 
Um, yeah. Not kind of, I, I spoke to a photographer recently who is autistic and she was like, I'm just so sick of the cute traits doing the round. Like, you know, these beautiful cards that are like, these are the traits and these are the symptoms. And I'm like, yeah, cool. It's like a baseline maybe. Not all my symptoms are in that diagnostic criteria. Not all like your symptoms no. are probably in there. And it's not going to be like a definitive how to navigate the diagnosis. Cause I just, I think that's impossible, but I hope it can maybe start to example a few different paths that, and then people decide which ones they step down and, and what might help. And again, just empower people to do it for themselves and advocate for their health. I hope. I think that's. I don't know. I think that's. I hope. It's brilliant. The more, the more, the more voices we've got, the more voices we've got in this space, sharing good information, making people feel that they're part of something that they're not isolated is is great. Yeah. Although I do have to like write posts every month, but not. Yeah. Not your voice, Alex. You we don't want your voice. Yeah, in this you space. can. We're gonna. Swap <laughs> yes. Round. We're gonna return the favor. We are. Yeah. Yeah, maybe nine I'd like. I was. I, I was just pointing out that James said more. The more voices, the better, and that means he has to admit that my voice is of value, which he would never. I don't have to. There was not. There was not. I'll admit they're both of value. I feel like the mediator now in some weird divorce yeah. situation. It is. You know, it's, it's very much like that every, every week. <laughs> right. That almost, that almost brings us to an end. So I just want to quickly say, Hannah, thank you so much. A, for the massive patience oh, you showed you. in the nine months it took us to actually organize <laughs> no, this. No, it's fine. And be, and, and, and B for coming on and sharing your experience. We normally give a product of the week. This week we've got two. First of all, it's Hannah's book, A Delicate Game. And then secondly, it's Look Out For Late To The Party, which will be coming out soon because we think it's going to be brilliant. That was episode 80 of the ADHD Adults Podcast, Adapting to a Late Diagnosis of ADHD with the brilliant Hannah Walker-Brown. Brown, for some reason you enjoyed this episode, why not support the charity on the link provided? Because otherwise, Alex is going to have to sell one of the 60 acres of land he owns around his German castle in order to provide funds for the charity. If you want to get in touch, contact us on the socials at the ADHD Adults or through the Discord community forum. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, all. Trigger warning, clacks on, clacks on, clacks on, clacks on, clacks on, big clacks on, oh, trigger warning, clacks on, clacks on, clacks on, clacks on.